2: What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno, and Jihadi White will be joining me here in a minute. Just going to do our little quick intro into Mad Reads and all that good stuff. On today's show, we'll talk a little bit more about the GM search, but also just sort of what that's like you know, inside the walls of the building. Like All of us can speculate. We can listen to all the podcasts, read all the articles, but uh, Jihadi can actually tell us what that's like for people you know, in the locker room and what that's like when there's turnover at the highest level and things like that. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to think about all this. And just sort of, uh, you know, some of these names that we're hearing on the GM search are guys that are still actively involved in the playoffs. So I just want to know from him, like, what his sense are. Does that put us behind the eight ball? Can we afford to wait for some of these guys? Will that potentially limit names in the GM search? All that kind of good stuff. So we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, As always, we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and uh, Surfside Hard ICs, Hard Lemonades, that good combo. Uh, I mentioned this before, but the missus and I, you know, like, literally this is our favorite uh, beverage to uh, share together. And it seems like every time I'm recording this podcast, it's like sort of cold and rainy out. So uh, not going to enjoy them before this uh, podcast, but I will definitely be having several on draft lottery night. Hopefully uh, it'll be celebratory drinks and not uh, me mourning our top, uh, top eight pick, uh, something like that. So anyway, brought to you by SurfSides and we're also brought to you by betonline.ag online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL, right to UFC, and boxing. BetOnline is your fastest and easiest way to get all your sports betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games that you can play right from your home. Head to the website today and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. With that, let's bring on jihadi. All right. Pleased as always to welcome in jihadi white. Jahadi, how's it going, man? Matt, my man, how you doing? It's the off season. I'm refreshed. I'm watching good basketball. I don't know if you got to see any of the Steph Curry game the other night, but uh that was an unreal performance.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually get to see the game because I was at the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did get to see the highlights. So, and the highlights are crazy. What, 50-point game? In a game seven. That's crazy. Hey, when it comes to experience and when it comes to champions, they show up. I I think, you know, for him, as you're building your
2: career legacy kind of stuff, like this is a performance I think people put at the top of that, like, you know, that Hall of Fame checklist and stuff. Like, he probably just moved a couple slots off the, you know, the top 20, top 10 kind of rankings of all time, I think.
1: Well, you know this season he's been he's, he's been doing good but he's been pretty much quiet as far as that that top tier yeah. nba mm-hmm. superstar uh, the Le- up with the levels of lebron the jordans the next you know the, the next hall top top mm-hmm. hall of famer types you know he's guaranteed all of that but you know the star the nba type he's um he's just been a little quiet yeah. but you know when it's time steph Curry is proving yep he's proving 100 percent he's uh he's he's proving that he's been there many times the experience the the way he leads his team so it's it was coming it's going to happen and he understands the and he understood the moment he understood the moment understood what he was supposed to bring. And he he reminded everyone who who is Steph Curry. Yeah, he yeah that's that's the one where
2: it's like oh okay like you said I feel like we heard less about him this year than we had the last couple maybe because they weren't as good as people expected coming off the title run I don't know but uh, everyone walked out of there like oh shit like this guy is an all timer all timer.
1: Yeah, and they, you know they haven't been as good this year. Yeah. But when the playoffs come, that experience shows up. Those superstars show up. Mm-hmm. And and he's the leader of that crew. You no know, Draymond could yell and and you know motivate as much as he want to, but they talked about a speech that he t- had mm-hmm. right before last game and before this game. And it made everybody just really come to play and, and remind everybody who the, who the Warriors were. Yeah. Sometimes you got to be reminded who you are. Yeah, for sure. You got to remind yourselves of that. And who yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You got to put everybody else on notice. You're in locker room sometimes. Right. You know, like, uh, I've I've been listening to a lot of like off season podcasts or or just catching up on podcasts throughout the year with players from good teams and things like that, and, and just trying to see like what are the things that keep routinely getting mentioned from the teams that are successful or about players that are on successful teams like that? And like three different player interviews I listened to over the last week, unsolicited, the teams mentioned, or those players mentioned what a good job the Heat do in terms of game planning and how they always guard people unique unique ways. And then they mentioned what the Warriors do in terms of like setting their guys up to be successful. And you saw it even just in this game the other night, and I, you said he didn't get to watch the game, but they were really creative, I think, about like when they took Steph out, and they like pat, you know, like built timeouts into like give him these like longer rests right before TV timeouts and things like that, just because like they were leaning so heavily on him. I, I thought that was really like smart planning on their part to be like, all right, we're calling a timeout here, and we're giving him this stretch, and it's a TV timeout, so now he'll get like a seven minute break as opposed to a two minute break. Um, I think it allowed, you know, 35 year old Steph Curry or whatever to go do what he did. And he just has to run so hard and so much to get everything open and their whole team. They run like there's like all these misdirections before they get into their actual action and things like that. Like it's I don't know. It's just the smart teams do such like creative things, I think. And and I hope we're like taking notes on that as a coaching staff here in Washington, like from these other
1: successful playoff teams you have to be a particular type of coach in the NBA. The -hmm. the, the NBA coaches are similar to the the level of NBA players, the tier. Mm -hmm. Steve Kerr is a brilliant NBA mind. Not only because he played the game, but because he had one role. Believe it or not, Man. he had one role and he had to figure out a million different ways mm-hmm. to be able to execute that one role. And his role is was is similar to Steph Curry's. Yeah. True. Right? Yeah. So now he said, if let me put myself in his shoes, how can I make sure that he has the gas he needs, the time he needs, the open, the open shots he needs. So the entire offense is based pretty much, kind of based off making sure Steph Curry in in making sure Steve Kerr the the imaginary in Steve the, the imaginary person is Steve Kerr's mind because and you can't tell me in Steve Kerr's mind that S- Steph isn't him,
2: right? I'm right? running
1: you off the sometimes degree, that makes the, the best run off
2: of, and you know right. Like
1: yep. So everything is what would I do, yeah. and then. If I, had, if I had Steph's abilities. Sure. And what would I want? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if because I'm sure Steve sees more of what Steph wants than what Steph sees. That makes sense. Right. And so it's hard to, in in certain, in certain aspects, to coach against a coach like that. Right. So even when you think about those timeouts or the misdirections Mm -hmm. right that's that's a coach saying what would i want to do how would i right if i'm playing because i one thing about the coach who really put time in and playing the game they can always ask themselves the question what would i do if i was in the game Mm -hmm. and steve uh, steve i think steve kerr is one of the most brilliant minds in in basketball and like you say, spoltry as well I think the two types that seem to be the most successful
2: are are those guys that played smartly themselves or the guys that like started in the video room and worked their way up in like the old school. I've got to watch through three hours of tape to cut it down into a 10 minute reel like Spolster did. Like there's all these stories about him, you know, having to be to pet Riley's house by 4am with tapes from the games the night before and stuff. And uh you, you can just tell, like he just seems like he's got every other team completely figured out before they play them. And and that series, it was just about like the Heat were like so prepared for what Milwaukee was gonna do. And
1: Milwaukee seemed to make no adjustments. No. Nah. Strategy. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think Milwaukee pretty much depended a lot a lot on talent. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the Milwaukee coach can utilize, he can utilize his talent well. Right, but mm-hmm. once you ran out of everything in the playbook, right. <laughs> Once exactly. you ran out of everything in the playbook, I mean, somebody would they take taking away everything. So most coaches' plays start off with one pass. Mm-hmm. If you notice that, right? They start off with a a pass or or f- a, f- a top flare screen at the top. If you blow that one thing up. Yeah, you got to. You do, yeah, the, yeah. Because now, well, then, like, so, if I, if I blow the flash screen up from the pick, the the point and the five, then the rest of the action, the four man doesn't know, can't make his cut, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So now the action is blown completely up. So I feel like to really blew a lot of that. That blew the players up right from the beginning, and Milwaukee had no playbook left. So now it's now it's mono and mono coaching wise. You don't want to deal with Spoltzer in, <laughs> in that type of situation. Yeah, it, It's also seemed like they saved
2: a lot of stuff for like the final couple minutes of a game. You're like, Oh, I never saw them send these two guys at Giannis particularly until right now, or right. they didn't choose to lo- leave through wide open until like the last couple minutes when maybe he was already tired from chasing Jimmy around. Like, uh, I I like stuff like that where you're like, hey, this is probably our best thing we could do to break up what you're doing, but we're waiting until the last minute. So you can't also adjust around it. Like I think that's really smart. Yeah,
1: Yeah. you don't see you don't see it early in the game to where now, yeah, you can make the adjustments. Right. Exactly. Or yeah, at least save it to the second half. Just hide it. Yeah, let's keep it in our pocket. Exactly. And a lot of coaches keep things in their pockets to the playoffs as well. Yeah, smart. Yeah. I I also listened to JB
2: Bickerstaff um have an interview semi-recently and he talked about just like he, he said he was lucky that he got like multiple shots at being an interim head coach because he learned little different things with different groups of players before he got to be like his own full-time head coach. But he talked about just like how crazy hard the jump is from top assistant to like the guy. And just like your role changes and how you interact with people. And the biggest thing he learned from his own dad, you know, from, from Bernie Bickerstaff is like how to just like, re- like relate to the different players differently. Um, and every one of these kind of interviews I've been listening to, the the biggest thing they said from every one of them was the first thing those coaches did for them was role identification. And that's been like a consistent theme in Washington is that like, that doesn't seem to happen here. It, like we've heard it under Wes. We heard it a bunch under Scott Brooks. About like players are a third of the way into the season and and they claim that no one has told them what their role is yet. Uh, so I, I'm just really fascinated from like you hear about heat culture and things like that. But it, it just seems like transparent communication is like a really important factor from all these winning teams, too. And and maybe that's something our own coaching staff seems like it maybe could uh, improve on in the future.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would agree, agree with JB that role identification is very, very important. All Right? It's not so much. To me, it's not so much um, what you can't do. It's more about when you need to pull yourself back. Right? Mm -hmm. So, so role identification in certain players isn't always as limited with other players. Mm -hmm. So and some players' role identification is is, is vast, sure. right? And you got to know that. But even in that vast role identification, as the where, when, how, timing, mm-hmm. right, good shot, bad shot. Yeah. So um, that's very important. But at the same time, you don't want to – sometimes that can also be a catch-22 because you can limit a lot of players. you like, hey, we need to get more out of you. Yeah. We need to – you also we need to we we need to get more because some players want to play, be able to play to stay in the game more than to actually um, do what you need them to do. Really, right or, or right? Well, not only do what you need them to do, but also play f- fulfill all the things that they have in their in their toolbox. I got you, right? So, and then that also helps the team out as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's a catch 22, but it's definitely important. Role identification is absolutely important. And also, like JB knows he's assisting a lot, and just as much he's learning, you have to have the right the right setup of assistant coaches yeah. on your right. Yeah, that's
2: huge. And and I and I that's one of the things I think Wizards fans have questioned is just sort of the makeup of the rest of the coaching staff. There's no you know, long-term former head coach. There's no real former players. You, you've got James Posey, but he's in the back row. Like we've talked about this before, too. So I wonder if that's something that could could help them to look at in the off season. Maybe a new GM can come in and and suggest.
1: Well, I see, some I things. Right. I see a lot of coaches are um, afraid to be not be the smartest person on the team. Yeah. On the coaching okay. staff, mm-hmm. and that's the absolutely you're done, you're done if you're that wrong right. way to go yeah if you to be a head coach to me you should be the least try to get a coaching style where you're the least smartest person because you know you and because you know what you know and you know it good you know a lot but they like he said the game changes every day mm-hmm. you know the game changes every day so, new sets happen every day Some. You have to now create certain sets for the particular type of the type of player. I always say this. When I went to when I when I got recruited to Georgetown, it was a big man school, Mm -hmm. and we had and I watched Georgetown with a Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe, Othella Harrington running all big man sets. I went there with Allen Iverson expecting big man sets (laughs) to be great. They flip the script on you, huh? Coach Thompson threw the entire playbook out. Right. But we won. Yeah. It, you you always hear that, like
2: the good coaches adjust to their personnel. They stay within their principles and what they, they believe wins basketball games. But you fit your system to the people, not try to
1: fit people to your system. You can't. You can't. that's why Larry Brown had such a hard time, you know, and um, you really fit the uh, – to me, you fit the system to your point guard. Mm, okay. To me, you fit the system to your point guard and your most efficient scorer. Okay. Right? And you kind of see, all right, this is my system, but let me see how they work together. Right? How they play together. Because mm-hmm. right? in the end of the day, that has to be your, your primary nucleus, those two. Right? how so now the, oh he likes this this is what this point likes to do this is what he likes to this is what he this is where he likes to get the ball mm-hmm. all right now let me change some of what I do not only to make it easy for them to get it where they like it but make it more free and and a quicker set for them to, to do exactly what they naturally do This is one thing we've kind of talked
2: a a little bit about with the Wizards own roster, but something I've seen in the playoffs and and it's kind of reinforced it for me. So so tell me if you think I'm way off base here. But it's so important to have a point guard that creates rim pressure because in that pick and roll, it, it enforces like the big defender to actually if like if you have a big who rolls really well, it forces them to like have to to really engage. Like you can't just step up and only cut off the point guard. If you've got the big that rolls like no big likes being scored on by their guy rolling to the rim time after time. So they can't fully commit or they can't like overly show on stuff. So like that point guard being a threat to score, it it makes your big that much more versatile, but it also frees things back up for your guys on the perimeter too. Like now if they're kind of stuck in between, do I hedge? Do I drop? Like um, now you've created just that little bit of hesitancy from the defense and guys have to help from the wings that opens up shooters. Like, I feel like that's the thing that was missing the most from the Wizards offense all year. And, and the teams that seem to be successful in the playoffs are are able to do that. Like the big gets stuck trying to figure out who he needs to stay with. And and that just a little bit of like hesitation, um, I think, makes a huge difference,
1: you know, with with NBA athletes and timing and things like that. Point guard these days cannot run sets. If you're running sets, <laughs> then you, you're 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 gonna be a slower team. Like you said, point guard now has to be a threat, a, a scoring threat mm-hmm. to the point where he can get, like you said, get in the teeth of the defense, throw up some flow to score. If not, like you said, not only you said, he, the big has to help, him. now the entire defense has collapsed. Yep. So that opens up every other player. Especially now, if it's motion going on, the movement going on, yep. the cuts going on it, at the same time while he's getting an antique defense, right? Because now mm-hmm. you have, so it wouldn't be called help defense if that wasn't, wasn't the case. Exactly. Everybody has to help, yep. right? Even if you stay, even if you have to face guard a certain person, you don't help. Okay, but then now we still have three, four other people open.
0: hmm
2: I think that was part of what was working so well for the Kings for a lot of that series was like, you know, you have to pay attention to Sabonis when he rolls. So whether it's Looney or Draymond, like they just were stuck because they can't leave somebody one-on-one with Fox, but they also can't totally ignore Sabonis. And now, I mean, obviously it hurt, you know, that, that didn't really work out in game seven, but for most of that series, I thought that was the dynamic that like really created everything that Sacramento did
1: yeah. because you have to respect Sabonis so much when he rolls right yep. now, if me being Sabonis, I know if I roll, people now, not only the big has respect that they now, they also have to help on the roll. Mm-hmm. Now Fox can also a quick, a quick point. He can move. He can attack the exact lane that Sabonis just rolled in.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And so that makes it really tough.
2: You're forcing them to make a decision, and if they don't, you'll just keep killing them on the same thing over and keep over. Killing again.
1: them on the same thing. Did not. Then now, now, and if and now with a guy like Fox, he's so deadly because he can stop and pop right at three three point line. I mean, a yep. free throw area. Mm-hmm. Right. That's super deadly. That's the hard. That's the hardest shot in the entire game of basketball. And full to speed contest. to just do that. Yeah. It. it that's the it no matter how difficult shots are to guard, mm-hmm. believe it or not, because anybody who's, who attacks from the top of the key and can stop and pop right there at the elbow mm-hmm. or, the th- or the free throw line, your defender will always be on his heels.
2: Yeah. Makes sense. I, I, first of all, I love this convo. So thanks for indulging me there. It wasn't even where I meant to take this, but it, it was just good to hear, you know, uh, like-minded thoughts. Um, And I think this is a good segue back into the convo I I wanted to have today about. uh, This is our first chance to talk since the Wizards dismissed Tommy Shepard, and um, first I want to get your reaction to that. But also, I think it's important too. Just like the next GM, I think needs to be paying attention to these things that kind of work and have that in mind of how you build the roster out to to pick on these things that seem to be, um, you know, the staples of what the really productive teams are doing. So I don't know. Just I, I guess first thing. What did you think about the Tommy Shepherd news?
1: Well, it, it was when, when I, so right before that news happened, kind of saw blame get thrown back and forth. Yeah. Right. You know, it seemed like Shepard was kind of taking all of, all of his blame, all the decisions he made yep. and put it on the people that he put in those positions
0: mm-hmm.
1: and say, well, the issue is the you know the players have to be able to listen to the coach and be able to, have to be acceptable and of what the coach is saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you put the coach in that position, right? Yeah. You know, and in the end of the day, it seemed like all the fingers just po- pointed back to Tom Shepard. Mm-hmm. So, in that instance, he's the final decision maker and. So you really, that's that's kind of where things have to change. I, I felt like, you know, it probably was time for things to change in that, in that regard.
2: The owner came out and immediately the statement was, like, Wes Unseld will be back. And the reporting was that, you know- He Wes said what? He,
1: he said he will?
2: He will. The coach will be back definitively. And, you didn't say the whole staff will be back. Didn't say that, you know, for how long. Like, but did say um, that, that we'll see Wes Unseld. And the reporting around that was that um, Ted Leons is a big supporter of Wes unselled. So to your point about the blame game, it did seem a little, you know, coincidental timing wise, perhaps that, uh, right after Shepard throws Wes under the bus a little bit, he's gone and the owner is saying like, I've got the coaches back. Um, but, but that, is that weird coming in? Like at least from a player perspective, right? If like maybe the coach was on a little bit of a hot seat and now you got a new GM coming in, those guys always want to pick their own guys. Does it feel a little bit like maybe Wes is going into like a lame duck year here, or a prove it year at the very least? Like if if things don't go well for him, I'm imagining the leash is probably pretty short with the new GM.
1: The leash is to me not. You said with the new G, yeah, the leash is. Wes is not in a great position. Yeah. Even though Ted did have his back, he will be back. Wes knows he's not in a great position. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. The issue is the players dialogue has been more with West than it was what any yeah, GM. Yeah. I agree. So how do you change that dynamic? How do you, now how do you fix the the way the players are receiving West? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what he's given to them, like, that's a great point. How, if, if it's if you still got majority of the same players there,
2: yeah, and they're all saying we played too slow, and the coaches didn't recognize it. They didn't say Tommy didn't recognize it.
1: Yeah, and then how are you gonna put your foot down? Yeah. So, I think that's the issue. Is even with West being there, and there's gonna be a new GM now. Now West's gonna be on the hot seat because now that that GM coming in first year, he can't take he has to come in and show and prove right away right Mm -hmm. and he has to you know no leeway with anything so but he also has to know hey let me figure out the situation and the relationship between wes and ted because if that situation and i think that's that's a long that's an ongoing long-term situation that's a long time you know west ted's been around forever Mm -hmm. west been around forever right so that's the issue too if I'm a new GM coming in and I really want to prove myself and show you know really make a change here how much can I make a change if their friendship is sometime can be bigger than the business
2: Just talking about these these good teams I, I think another theme has been, Just how strong the relationship is between coach and GM. Like the teams that win, those guys seem to be on the same page. Like Pat Riley and Eric Spolster are on the same page. And now, if you've got, to your point, like if you think the coach can go around the new GM to the owner if they're not on the same page about something, or you're an owner or you're the coach and you think the new GM wants to fire you and get his own guy, like it just doesn't
1: seem like that's going to lead to a. That makes hiring tough. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It makes hiring tough because now I got when I'm when I'm being hired for that position, I gotta see what the dynamic, what's the dynamics of the situation, what, what am I getting myself into? What exactly, you know, you know, who's who's buddy buddy? You know, who's what what place am I? Am I gonna be the outsider and I have to work myself in? You know, mm-hmm. all of those, all of those things are or can I when I if I do accept a job, can I have some demands, some requirements that need to be that that can be agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I'm flexible to move however I want to move to the point to that if, as long as it's in the benefit of the team.
2: Yeah, I, I think that whole situation is like. Really going to be sticky for things, and unless you're like one of these big name GM candidates, like if, if you hear people throw out Jiri and things like that, I don't think that's realistic personally, but that kind of guy is probably not as worried. About that dynamic because he carries such a big cachet. But if I'm one of these like assistant GMs that's looking to get promoted, you know, I would want to know like, um, hey, are you going to let me enact my vision? If this coach isn't on board with my like, you know, my vision for things like how, who wins, like what's the tiebreaker?
1: Yeah. Is that, and I don't think any assistant GM is pretty much uh, fitting for that job. Yeah. Are we already behind the eight ball?
2: That, that was going to be my immediate next question for you is like, how much, like this happened much later than than most firings. Now, the one side advantage is it's the only open GM position. So you get your view of, you know, all the candidates, but like, I guess just maybe go into a little bit more detail there for, for listeners. Like, why does this put them so behind that they're just now getting around to making these kind of interviews and changes and stuff?
1: With me personally, I feel like we're, we're really behind that eight ball. Really, because we the decision we made last year, last season, without not freeing up some cap space mm-hmm. for some of the, you know, for for our top three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of late for a new GM to come in when it, when it's getting close to draft time. You know, so you really don't have the time to do all your due diligence mm-hmm. and really. You know, go to the draft board and drawing board and the uh, and the uh, you know the the boardroom table mm-hmm. to really have time to hash out a, a lot of good picks. So it's just a tough time to for GM really to get in there and and really have some you know his opinions and understand how the team works and and do how, what what happened and where we are now. What what we need, because, you know, a lot of GMC see, see, seen the Wizards play, but they've been focused on their team. Yeah, they don't know the inner workings and the dynamics yeah. at play there. Right. So it's just a tough time. We, we, in, that, in that situation, we're in a tough time. We're not behind the, behind the eight ball in, in that circumstance
2: does a new GM come in and like talk to all the players currently under contract and feel them out individually? Is he just going to the top couple guys? Is he going, is he just going to Brad Porzingis and Kuzma and starting there or, or like would, would everybody locked up hear from him at some point about how they fit in and, and make some decisions
1: based on that? He's, he's not, it depends on the GM. Okay. Depends on the GM. Now a new coach would definitely talk to every player. Sure. The GM every player doesn't have a relationship or open line of communication with the GM. So let that be okay. known. Okay. Right. Um, the GM usually only talks to his top, probably most likely it would be Brad, mm. Kuzma and Porzingis. And, okay. no, and no one else probably would hear from him. Okay. Um, but that's usually how it goes. Yeah. I,
2: I do know that like, at least for front offices as a whole, like starting even with pre-draft, these guys keep a file now on like every player in the league. Like it starts with here are the guys we liked in the draft, and we add to that file. They come free agents. Like we start with our pre-existing file and stuff. And I'm assuming these guys can take this with them in between jobs. So they might at least have familiarity on all the guys on the roster's games. But but to your point, like I don't know if this dude is bought in. I don't know if If I see him as an eighth man, if he's going to be on board with that, like, do I need to get him out? Like, it it just seems like that those kinds of like interpersonal dynamics um, when you don't have time to figure these things out before the draft, like you don't really know where the bigger holes are.
1: Yeah. So even if you have the file, right of all the players and they like like you said you don't know the inner workers or the, or the dynamics or if they're using that player correctly to be able to you get the most out of that player yeah I right see. now or not only that is who's in the draft to can probably be better than that player right mm-hmm. because when well, now before i left i was looking for a player in a draft to fit this particular team yeah right i was interested in these particular players because it fit the team that i've I wanted, you know, I was looking for a totally different team for them to go to. Yeah. Right. So now, I have to figure out the holes in this system,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is which now I not only have to figure out the holes, I have to learn to play it, and the information. And I have now I have to see, question where I'm getting my information from. Yeah. I have to, right. I'm right? had to question everybody on the coaching staff. I'm had to question some of the players, etc. Now. Everybody has their own opinion of why. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people don't want to throw unless they just want to win. Right? They're gonna make decisions, you know. They they're gonna make decisions. They're gonna they're gonna try to LeBron the situation, right? So um it's just a and and it's not the first time that a GM has ever had to enter a situation in, in this dynamic right here, but it's not the the best sit way to go in, you know? So, you know, if I'm the wizards, if I'm particularly with, while I'm searching for a GM, I'm still hiring like scout services and, you know, um, outside, you know, outside contracting, Mm -hmm. big scouting programs and right to, to say, Hey, when the GM does come in, Mr. So and So, whoever comes in, this is what we're looking to do right now. This, Mm -hmm. this is what decision that we're looking to make. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Like, what, you know, do you have any insight, further insight on that, or is it is it completely um, opposite of what we we consider of what we want to do, and then we'll go from there. But I'm not wait. You can't wait for the GM to start making decisions.
2: The the team announced that for like larger contextual things um, that John Thompson III would be running them and for like personnel related moves that assistant GM uh, Brett Greenberg would be the point of contact for other teams. I would imagine that someone like Greenberg stays in a position like that, at least this first year under the new GM to kind of bridge the gap and hey, here's what I know. Like, let me kind of you know help you get up to speed on some of these guys right. that, that would be my i guess at least
1: uh, you would have to you would have to mm-hmm. you don't want to have him just kind of coming in flailing yep. and, and and now he's playing private private investigator <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's in gonna two, rattle two weeks, everybody yeah. yeah that's that's gonna be to rattle everybody the wrong way so no
2: i think you made a really great point there too about Like for a GM, presumably you want a guy from a winning team because that means they're good at their job or, or part of a good organization that you can steal from. But those guys have probably been looking at draft prospects, you know, more focused on somebody in the 20s than a guy that could go top five. Now, I'm sure they at least have, you know, some vague familiarity with all these, these guys and they'll try to get up to speed quickly, but, um, it's probably not to the level of detail you would want because that's just not, holes they've been looking to fill like you said so um that's something that the quicker you can do this the more they can get in there they can get you know familiar with these players i I think will be huge and then you've got the nba draft combine is literally like two weeks from today i I believe it starts on the 15th like you got to have somebody in place by that like we haven't heard any real reporting on like concretely these are the guys that they want here are the people who have interviewed Friend of the show, Troy Halliburton, mentioned that he thinks that Milt Newton, the Bucks assistant GM, has had at least maybe even if not a full interview, has had conversations with Ted Leontis. And he used to work here in D.C., so there's some familiarity there. I'm sure he knows Wes because they overlapped. Uh, But other than that, like we haven't heard names of like it's these four guys are coming in these days to do these interviews. so. Maybe those convos are happening and they're just keeping them under wraps better than they typically do in these situations. But,
1: uh, like, we better hear some movement quickly. I can't imagine that Ted and Ted as a individual, you know what I'm saying, just with his background mm-hmm. outside of basketball. Sure. And just with the Wizards, you know, with the monumental sports organization. Company and the Wizards organization that they haven't yeah, done been, something here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they haven't been interviewing from soon as soon as the you know soon as the firing as soon as mm-hmm. they let go, you know, soon as they let go. So you just it's it's way more interviews and things happening behind the scenes sure. than it is there In the end of the day, their control of the narrative and the information that's going out mm-hmm. right but it has to be three times of information going on yeah true. right so we getting what they want us to get mm-hmm. but they understand how crucial this decision is and how how so they're already, when they decide who before they said, you know, hey, we let it, let it go of the former GM. You'd hope they'd have names in mind. They already had the names. Yeah, you would hope. The next, as soon as he left, the next two, three hours, it was somebody in interviewing or talking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, before they even made that decision, they already, I mean, you know, that's how it goes. So, I mean, it's been it's, but now they have they do have to make a decision quickly. they I'm sure they have had a you know a lot of interviews down their list
2: there are some limitations um and I'm not hundred percent concrete on what titles this applies to directly. Uh, but like an assistant GM for a team still in the playoffs can interview while as an active GM can't. uh so it's like, Bob Myers, they can't officially interview with uh, until the Warriors are eliminated. But it doesn't mean that they can't talk to Bob Myers' agent about what he might want and have some kind of preliminary, you know, what-if conversations at the very least. Don't get caught. (laughs) We don't (laughs) want to lose any draft picks for tampering or anything like that.
1: Don't get caught, baby. Listen, they made the rules. They know how to yeah, work, work around.
2: Yeah. No, that make, that's a great point. Um, I, I I just mentioned Bob Meyer specifically. He's the biggest name GM that doesn't have like a long-term contract in place. He is a free agent at the end of the season. There has been some reporting that he doesn't feel the love from their owner who is a little bit maybe uh, a bit of a meddler or overly involved. And I don't think he thinks that he gets credit for building that team out. So so that has been sort of rumblings that he might want to move on. And again, this being the only job open, I still think he's probably going to use us for leverage more than anything and not leave Steph and those guys until they're ready to retire. But um, at what point, like if they keep winning and you can't really interview them and you get to the combine and things like that, do you just say like, F it, like that would be the guy we'd like, but we got to do something. Like, did did is there a make or break point uh, over the next month or so? I guess.
1: Yeah, but that's the crazy thing is the the interview in the, the GMs you're always going to want will be the ones that have that team in the playoffs. Right. That's the that's the what that's why you want the the GM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't want right? the guy on so, the last place team. <laughs> right. So, and that's what. So, in the end of the day, that's the catch twenty two, and you don't have time Mm -hmm. so do you do you talk to the agent every day what is he thinking right um how much time will we have before the draft you know it's tough Mm -hmm. um so i don't know if that's the way you go now now also like, like you said he most likely will be using it for leverage i mean that's no matter, even if he feels, un, 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 you know, like no, not respected by the owner of the team, mm-hmm. which that's major, especially sure. as a as a person who does a job good as Bob does. <laughs> He's got four yeah. rings up. He right. can't
2: do it any better than that.
1: Right. But in the end of the day, outside of that one situation, it's a lot of praise going on. Yeah, sure. Right. Do you want to leave that that when you know, hey, Steph probably I know I know Steph isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. We have young guns like Jordan Poole, Kaminga. I mean, we sometimes the players on the on the roster makes your job more more secure.
2: That relationship between the best player or the franchise player and the GM I think sets the tone for a lot of the other things in in the whole <laughs> organization. Uh, and that leads to some other reporting here. Tom Lavero of the Washington Times reported that uh, Tommy Shepard loved Bradley Beal and was reluctant to try to trade him. And I guess, per, per this reporting, Ted Leonsis has fallen out of love with Bradley Beal after the season. I don't know if that's the injury stuff or the contract or how true any of that is or if it's just Ted trying to find reasons to to justify, you know, the Tommy firing, I don't know. But you know, like that Tommy would go down with the Bradley Beale ship potentially um points to their to their relationship and, and their dynamic. Do you buy that at all? That Tommy being unwilling to move Brad is the reason they would have moved on from him. To me, that that's just smells
1: too fishy. I, I don't I don't see any truth to that. I think if Tommy being willing being unwilling to move anyone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's not point. all, I don't think it's to move Brad per se, just to not make any moves. Yeah. To, to double down and run the score back next year. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So and and so he bet he dug, like you said, he doubled down. Mm. And that's think that's what killed him. So and I mean, you know, killed him in this situation. So and then you can kind of see uh, you are starting to see brad say things he never said before you know Brad's extremely loyal he's been very loyal to the wizards right and he's even in his in his discouragement he's still expressing his loyalty but he's also expressing his his you know discontent
2: yeah. There were a lot of, I, I'm not the GM. I don't make these decision kind of comments this at the end of the season. So, uh, right. Right. So it's not a great
1: sign. So it's not, it's not a great sign for us. You can see little, you know, fractures in him, him and Ted's, you know, mm-hmm. friendship, you know, relationship. Sure. Well, so. So you know so now it's that town of Brad you know Brad got to make some decisions you know hey i do i i got everything i wanted at the, you know money money wise i'm fine mm-hmm. with this organization um leader wise i love being the leader I've always been able to lead I've always been able to be the the franchise face of this organization you know but i got to see what the right you know I, I got to see what the writing on the wall is here. And also I got to see what my opportunities are out there, yep. you know, and, and it's an, and some decisions to make. And, and it's tough when you've been a, at an organization this long and it's been your home for this long and that, and the fan base, you know, you've been a family of the fan base for this long. So, you know, he has some, some major decisions to make. And then you gotta say, Hey, wherever mm-hmm. I go, I'm. I'm not going to be that guy for somebody. That that guy, like I was, that guy was here. Am I? Am I prepared for that? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it's that's a great point. To me, just following with that, I don't think there's a world where Bradley Beal asks out of this situation before he at least becomes the all-time franchise scoring leader and things like that. Like he's going to cement himself in the record books here, and I think Ted wants those things. They can hang another banner. So to me. At, at a minimum, he's here, at, at least for part of next season, if not all of it, just to say, like, let's see what the new GM does. Let's give him a chance. Let's try it out. Let's see if, you know, if he and I, this new guy, develop that same dynamic or I like where we're going. Um, maybe if it goes sour or they don't like the direction of the team and. He gets those accolades and things like that, they could make a move at the deadline or next offseason or whatever. But if I were a betting man, I would very much assume Bradley Beal is here for all of next season at a minimum. Or or at least half of next season. It's just so hard to trade somebody that big of a name with that big of a contract, I think, at the deadline, because there's so many moving pieces that that requires. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but Um, it's, it, that's a big, you know, that's a pretty big deal. You're right. It, it, but I just think it has to go really sour for them to not give it a full season. It would,
1: but you know how many teams will want
2: Brad? So that's, so that's the question. I'm in total agreement with you that if they decide to move on from him and at that time he is still reasonably healthy, there are plenty of teams that will sell themselves on. He won't as have as heavy a burden here. So the injury thing won't be a big deal. He can fit in with all of our personnel. But there's a lot of reporting. Like uh, Howard Beck was on Locked On Wizards the other day and said, "Like I don't think teams will want Bradley Beal because of the contract and the injuries." Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that, that's a lot to work through. Is all I was saying. With I, I don't know that you. I don't. I, I don't the,
1: think you. I don't think you're getting a a Westbrook situation with Brad.
2: No, it's not yeah, right. I agree. I think he's a positive asset. I don't think you're getting the Paul George where you get Shea Gildas Alexander and a bunch of picks back, but. I also don't think it's like where we're attaching a pick to get rid of Brad or anything crazy like that. Yeah.
1: No, I I, I agree. It, it it depends on what perspective you're looking at If you're looking at it from a Brad's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Or then you say what's good for Brad's perspective? I think I think his uh, value out there is pretty good. I would think so. If you're looking at it from uh, a Wizards perspective of what they can, if it benefits them more to get rid of them or benefits them more to keep them, Mm -hmm. then I don't know.
2: Well, this is the other thing where fans were, I would say, largely disappointed in the the move to offer him a no-trade clause. And I think this is the situation where that comes back to bite you because – Brad now gets to pick the three places he wants to go or whatever, and and it just – it it shortens the list. Like somebody like Toronto might want him or Minnesota might want him, but Brad could be like, F it. I've, I don't want to be somewhere cold or I don't want to rebuild or or I don't like that other guy. I don't want to go be his number two or his number three or, you know, like – or am I the number one there? Like – I'm not saying that they can't find a team still, but it at least limits your options to some extent. And then limits me, what you when get you back.
1: Earn the max, when you earn the max as a max player, mm-hmm. you earn the right to negotiate no trade clause.
2: I, I think, well, there's only been like 10 in NBA history, apparently. And the I think the thing Wizards fans struggled with was that some of the reporting was that the team came to the table with that and offered that to him. It wow. wasn't even that he like negotiated to get it. It was just like, we'll give you everything we can give you and gave that's up the, the farm, fun. which I that that's more mismanagement. I don't blame Brad. I would take that shit in a heartbeat and I would actually even ask for yeah. it, but um, it's on the team to whether they give you it or not. And when you can offer a player 60 more million dollars than the next team can, you you should have leverage enough to not also have to give them a trade no trade clause and trade kicker and all this other shit.
1: yeah true yeah yeah because like, yeah you you take that in the rv yeah
2: well you'd be stupid not to say yes min- the minute someone puts it on the table
1: right but then again you know we don't know the sources may, may be right that's true then again we haven't heard it from the horse's mouth and and
2: you don't know what his agent, you know, implicitly uh implied to them, uh that, you know, hey, if it's not literally every single thing you can give us, then maybe we have to call up the heat or something. So
1: you never well, know. Well, I know as an agent when you have a situation where you can go for a max time player like Brad, you try to check every box. Yeah, you should. You show I mean, up with every pay. box check.
2: Yep. I agree. Uh, do you think this makes it more or less likely that we see Chris Tavis Porzingis and or Kyle Kuzma back next season?
1: If I had to choose, I, I, I feel like we're going to see Porzingis back. I agree. I'm not sure about Kuzma. Right. Now. I think this makes it
2: less likely that he's back. Just because yeah. if I'm a new GM, I'm, I'm less attached to that. You're right, uh, P- Porzingis could theoretically opt in to his thirty-seven million. I don't think he'll want to do that because I think he's had a good enough year that he wants oh. a long-term deal. But at the very least, he's not going to like walk and not take anything. So, so at the minimum he's probably back in some context.
1: Well, if I'm Porzingis, I'm guaranteed not opting in for that thirty-six. Yeah, you right? you want the new GM have no idea what what the playing field is with anything right now. Yeah, I know. I can show. I can. I can pull up to the negotiation table with some unique stats. Yeah, it's true. Some really good stats right now. So mm-hmm. really good numbers. And he was pretty healthy too. Like this healthy. is the best time for him to negotiate right. that. Right. So I'm. This is my pro It's probably been Porzingis' best year to ever negotiate in his yeah. career. Yeah, I don't disagree. Right. So yeah, he's, he'd be. He'd be. He'd be foolish to not negotiate now which means that's going to make it also tough for 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 kuzma Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right so i um yeah and then it just you have to free up something you have to free up something i think uh kuzma just is most likely just be the uh, sacrificial guy
2: yeah and and you hope that you can sign and trade him for something and get something back in the process right yeah like let's say uh, the new GM comes in and he likes Porzingis, but he doesn't love him and you're Porzingis and you don't get the kind of deal you want and maybe there aren't teams that you want to go to that have cap space, you can take that player option if you have to. It, it's at least there. It's not the
1: right, it, it, it's not the best option, but I, I'm I'm definitely testing the market, but if should. I'm Porzingis, yeah. I don't want to leave Washington. I, I agree. and It doesn't sound like he does either. I mean, by all. Well, uh, it's, it'd be smart for him not to. Because farm porzingis, I know just Washington wasn't a big market this year, but mm-hmm. just because of the team how we played, you know. Yep. So if it, it, the NBA knows the good players, but Washington knows. I know the the damn, the GM's gone though, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm negotiating with a new GM either way.
2: I do think the owner, though, said part of the reason they moved on from Tommy Shepard was the failure to make the playoffs. And to me, it's really hard to replace a player of Porzingis' caliber in free agency, especially if you let him walk because there's bird rights and things like that. You're you're not bringing back someone of equivalent value. So if your goal is to make the playoffs next year, your chances of doing that to me are worse if you let him leave.
1: But you can build around Porzingis with Washington. I don't see – I don't see – as many teams out there that will be able to change their system for prison. That's a great point. He doesn't fit in as easily. He doesn't game. fit in. So to me, renegotiating with Washington is my best bet.
2: Yep. It's also an international city, you know, like there's a couple other players that he's close to on the roster. He and Denny Avdia have a good friendship? Like, I, I gotta imagine, I mean, at the end of the day, like if someone offers you way more money, maybe you leave. But if it's close money and you can be the man or one of the men here and you like the vibes in the city and it's east coast, so you can get back to Europe easily, like, you know, it probably helps, I would think.
1: Yeah. And money is a great thing, but you gotta be able to play. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the day, you're playing for the next contract. You wanna you're playing basketball because you want to be on the floor. Yeah. I just to me, Wes already knows Bazinius. He,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he knows that he how he played. He knows his game. He knows his his uh that he can score very well, but he also knows he doesn't rebound very well. He, yeah. You know, he knows his his attributes and his and his uh you know and his strengths and his weaknesses. So his weaknesses on the, going toward another team, they're gonna be magnifying. Because they're going to say, hey, look, we, we need a, you're, you're a big, but we don't get this out of a big. You don't get that. You don't get this. So, like you said, it is an international city. It's, it's, it fits him too well to where he had, like, my goal, my angle is to be like, hey, re-sign me here. Yeah.
2: I, I, I say this about a guy who is now on his third NBA team, but I also think, and, and again, not to overly generalize, I'm not – being xenophobic or anything like that anybody listening i just a lot of the european guys seem more willing to stay at some of these things that are air quotes smaller markets than a lot of the american guys are like you see Giannis is good where he is and Jokic is good where he is and luca is good where he is and maybe porzingis is just happy to have a home and somewhere like he fits in that wants him
1: yeah it's been tough he had a tough role before washington yeah right yeah Yeah, He had a tough road before Washington. I mean, you know, a lot of injuries, you know, New York was tough on him, but Dallas. um, So I I would negotiate. I would negotiate this year. I wouldn't settle to, you know, take the, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, 36, but I'm – I'm telling my agent hey, I'm I want to stay in Washington I don't want to go anywhere else so if I do have to leave a little bit of money on the table to stay you know uh the mo- the money I'd rather sacrifice them a couple million for my happiness
2: yeah agreed and your opportunity to live out the full extent of that contract in one place you know and like get to play yeah and, and to play and a, to be, a major role you know yeah
1: get to play a major role be a number one two option
2: I hope that the new GM has that in mind while negotiating this next contract, that that is probably where his head at, or it's at least a reasonable expectation of where his head's at. Like this, I think this first deal with Porzingis tells us a lot about how our new GM will operate compared to the last one. Sure. If you believe the stuff like they're offering Brad the no trade clause, you know, without him asking for it and stuff, like you can't be doing those kinds of things with, like, there, there has to be a little bit of like, you know, we're, we're towing the line here with Porzingis and like, we're going to be firm in our negotiations. Like you, you set the new tone for your new regime with this first deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it tough to be able to accept that GM job there. That's not an easy GM job to, you have to step into that right away. You step in there. That's a, that's a project. Yeah. Right. You said like, well, you, you said I'm taking on a project. Mm-hmm. A major project, right? Um, yeah. re, re, revamp and rechanging the how people look at this team. You know, a decision that is made here, right? And I'm, and I'm coming in with a lot of, a lot of pieces that's not in the right place. When, when that's you... hard. That's not very easy to move. Yeah it's a tough situation
2: like it's too tough situation it's two huge free agency decisions on a team that didn't make the playoffs for an owner that thinks you should make the playoffs like
1: from a GM that's leaving a team that makes the playoffs every year exactly or, most likely if or they even, take,
2: yeah or potentially an assistant GM who's never had to
1: do a negotiation of you this may, scale and that's my thing is you may have to bring in somebody who's done it before yeah, and not hasn't, hasn't been actually a, a head GM before. Mm-hmm. Which now you're back having a project again with a project. So
2: you're the only person on, on this recording right now, and probably, I'm going to assume for the people listening to this, the only one who has been through an NBA contract negotiation. Uh, how many of those times were you heavily negotiating with the assistant GM? Like, were they, are they actively involved in those conversations or that process? Like, if we bring in Milt Newton, and he's the Bucks' assistant GM, has he negotiated a $30 million con- per year contract with the player before? I would assume not, but...
1: He's involved in it. Okay. he's a, Sometimes the assistant GM is, a, is involved. So, to me, and I look at, and I say, like, it's depending on your agent. Okay. Right? If your agent is... Is Chris Paul? He he demands respect to talk to. He, the main he's guy. not. He's not. He's not going to sit here and waste his time talking to this assistant GM because he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Right? If you so at the time, my my agent was David Falk. Okay, that's a pretty when darn big name. <laughs> my major, my major contract. Yeah. He's not going to sit here and waste time with assistant. Right, yeah. No matter who the player is, mm-hmm. not not maybe if he the, if he's the eighth man on the roster, I'm talking to the main guy. Yeah. So it's not so much of, and that's the thing. Assistant, G, it's not if the player gets to talk to if the assistant GM gets to talk to the agent about the player. It's if the it, yeah, it's more about if the assistant GM gets to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Not if, you know, the system. That's who I'm getting, right? So it's based on your agent. Yeah, that would be a really
2: big first deal for assistant GM of the Pelicans, Trajan Langdon, to come in, and your first real potentially big time free agency uh, negotiation with someone is Kristaps Porzingis in 30 million a year potentially. Like that, that's a tough ask. I mean. You know, I, I would I would be skeptical about. I mean, I don't know. These guys are all confident about what they do, and he's a you former have to high level player. make a decision
1: but, yeah. either way. Yeah. You come in, you can't. So, any to me, any GM coming in, they're going to have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or it, just Ted Ted make them for it? And
2: and hey, that. I want this guy back. You better make it work. Like that's even, that might even be tougher to do. As a that's GM. tougher
1: because then now you better get an assistant GM in there. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Someone's going to tell me exactly who yeah, I am.
1: Cause to. then you saying, Hey, basically I'm coming to a situation where somebody's going to tell me what, right. what's the choices I'm, I have to make, yeah. which means, you know, now all, even these, these choices will fall on my head, but I don't get a chance to make, yeah. you know,
2: Bob Myers is not coming here to let Ted tell him who he has exactly. to Exactly.
1: Exactly. Certain GMs are not coming here to listen to the owner. Like, yep. it just, this is what I do. It's a great point.
2: Oh, All right. Well, uh, yeah, uh, the, there's just a lot of questions here. I'm hoping, you know, in a week when we record this, we'll at least have heard guys X, Y, and Z were finally, you know, they've been having convos all along or here are the three front runners or or whatever um it seems like uh uh, tim Connolly was the big name for a while and he sort of said like he's happy where he is in minnesota and things like that i don't know maybe again could be a smokescreen you never know but it's at least one name probably off the list of guys that were likely um you know in consideration here so i have no idea where this is gonna go and all i hope is that they find someone good and they find the person relatively
1: quickly yeah you and i both you and i both. We, I don't have an idea what's it's going either. You
0: know? So, Johnny, who
2: were the, the GMs that you played for here in Washington? I mean, it was Big West for a while, right? Big West, Ernie, Big West, and Ernie mostly. Okay, got it. Grunfield. yeah. And and I would just assume that both of those guys approached that job pretty differently, just given their.
1: I talk to Big West all the time. Uh-huh. I talk Not to Ernie, Ernie every every blue moon
0: yeah
2: uh what, so tommy was here um for that right like did you talk to tommy a reasonable amount as an assistant gm neither
1: yeah i probably i i talked to tommy more than than but, a, yeah. you know and, and, but when i did talk to tommy i i'll be honest with you i didn't look at him as a major you know yeah. i just looked at him somebody in the in you know in the office somewhere <laughs> in the office upstairs <laughs> right. right i'll be honest with you so, you know, and, and that's kind of how players look. If you're not, if you're not, players don't have time to, most players. Now, you get the LeBron James and all those that like, sure. they break down every dynamic of uh-huh. which players should just so happen. When we get there, we don't care that much as we should at the moment. Right? My checks are coming in every two weeks. Right, checks coming in. <laughs> right. it's like, we, right. Just, this is a business. We need to find out who's in all the seats. We need to be be upstairs just as much as we are in the locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we don't understand that then when we're playing. So at the time, Tommy was just somebody sitting in one of the seats behind the desk. And in, in my eyes, that's a really good point for a young
2: player, though. Like you, you don't know five years down the road who might be negotiating your next contract. Like getting in with those guys right. early is probably not a terrible idea. It might be the
1: videographer. <laughs> right, right, right. That's
2: also a good point. That's, yeah.
1: that's what you know. I always say, get to know the video guy. Yeah, smart. He's gonna be making some major decisions one day.
2: Right. He's providing all the ammo for yeah. you know, like what happens with your playing time and all exactly. this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, you don't know point.
1: anybody, know the video guy. <laughs> take
2: take note, younger wizards players. Uh that's that's really good. Um, Johnny, anything else you got here on on the wizards or the GM search or the playoffs in general?
1: No, I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we definitely covered a lot.
2: I think so, too. I think people are going to like this convo just because it's, um, I don't know, it's not the same rehashing of Candidate X came in and talked about this thing with, you know, Owner Y and stuff like that. So hopefully um, we hit a couple new angles for people. Uh, all right, partner, I think that's it for us. We'll be back here uh, sometime next week. We'll let everybody know uh, when and where and all that good stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know. Hope you're enjoying your off season so far
1: yeah I'm trying <laughs> there you go I'm trying you know I'm, I'm boys basketball youth basketball, it's high school you know summertime is a lot it's not a lot of traveling a lot of politics that's but a but full it's time great job. you know what's the great thing about it you know great thing about it, also see your sons really play on the highest level of basketball there is for high, for high school summer ball when it's Nike EYBL. but the, even better is it's like a reunion of a lot of NBA players. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, whose, whose sons are now playing? Mm-hmm. Some of them are we, probably coaching and stuff too. I would imagine too, coaching and just, I mean, and and you get there to watch your son, and and we're all in a group, yeah, just enjoying ourselves. You know, reminiscing, cool. talking about a play that happened. And somehow, every time my name, every time I show up, I remember when you hit me so hard. That this, <laughs> I'm like, "This is that, is that all the stories we're gonna get every time I hit somebody so hard?" <laughs> you know.
2: We could use a couple of those guys now. You look like you could still play. But we got a three. It's out
1: great because we're all in different cities now. We're all in different places, and we get to come together on, on one common accord to see our sons play and and how things come full circle. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it just is great. It's great to see their sons, you know, being able to play on that. Because for to play on Nike Eybl, you have to be. Yeah, you can bring it. You got to be able to bring it. You got to be one of the top players in the country. You don't. You don't choose to play there. They choose you. Uh, you were just in Arizona. What's the next big event for? Uh, so for sure? Dallas, Dallas is to be Dallas. They have four sessions for the summers. First one was in Atlanta now this was arizona and the next one is dallas uh like end of may sometime Yep. and then the last one is in memphis and then you go to the peace jam gotcha you know if if you qualify your team qualifies you go to the peace jam which is in augusta augusta Mm -hmm. georgia augusta south carolina
2: that's that's the big one right like that's the holy grail that's the big dog
1: gotcha okay
2: well, uh, keep us posted on how the boys are doing throughout the year. Here, I think uh, everybody would be yeah. interested to right. to hear how it goes. And I'm pulling for him.
1: And what's cool is the boys get to spend time with Brad. Brad oh, Brad. there you they go. Play on Bradley Bill's yeah. B-Y-B-L Nike team.
2: So, so, so fill us in a little bit. Like, how active is Brad?
1: In oh, extremely active. Have you seen videos of we, Brad we talking to his? EYP? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love him. I didn't know if that's a He's one-off. Very or... open, very clear, concise, yeah. and active. And I love that, that yeah. the kids get this. thats huge. They need that right now. You know, they get the good Brad. They get the they they get the. You see the leader the leadership qualities of Brad right away. Mm-hmm. Like you understand how he he really you know in is a natural leader yep and he's there he's all weekend he was there in in Phoenix I think um for his 17 U team his 16 U team and a 15 U team and that's such
2: a big deal for those kids I'm sure like I, I can't imagine that you know those guys were as available as a resource in your day as people like Brad are making themselves to the young guys that are now
1: oh yeah so yeah I've seen a lot of so I've seen a lot of teams like uh, like the team Melo CP three mm-hmm. team Durant uh, team George Paul George has a team uh, but I see you know I see Brad way more than those other guys sure. they're not there much I mean I know when it started out used to see him mm-hmm. Brad is he's dedicated to his AAU program his that's really
2: cool. I and l- I love hearing that too because I think we can make jokes about the no trade clause and things like that. But like, yeah, you make jokes about, it, but he's
1: he dedicated he's the, the youth of basketball coming up. He's he, that's very major to him.
2: Yeah, I love that. Uh, very cool. Hopefully, uh, Brad's doing some scouting for us here long term too. He's seen all these guys. He can come in oh, yeah, no come into the Absolutely. new GM about who he wants to play with in a few years. Yeah, awesome. Well, good luck. Hope goes well. We'll talk to everybody here soon. Um, everybody, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right.